and welcome back to this series, HRT is Good For You. I'm your host, Chloe Russell, and on today's episode, we are joined by Professor John Studd, who I will be talking with about PMS and its relationship to hormones. Some very interesting facts and figures will be expressed later on that may surprise you. But before we start, I'd like to mention that this podcast is made for the London PMS and Menopause Clinic, which was in fact Europe's first ever PMS and Menopause Clinic, and it's now home to leading gynaecologists in Marleybone, London. It's great to have Professor Studd's words of wisdom with us on this podcast, and it's great to have you listening today. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the podcast, Professor Studd. How are you today? I'm fine. Nice to talk to you. Very nice talking to you too. So in today's episode, we're going to be discussing PMS, that wonderful thing. Firstly, can you explain to the listeners what PMS is and who gets it? Uh, well, women, first of all, that's an easy one. Um, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a whole heap of symptoms, very, very symptoms, depression, confusion, insomnia, physical symptoms, sore breasts, and um, just inability to cope and irrational behavior that occurs in women cyclically. Now, that's a clue. It happens cyclically before a period and usually before every period. So that's a very important thing to establish, that it is a hormonal problem due to the hormonal changes that women have every month, and they're not changes that men have at all. So this is a monthly problem that is due to hormonal changes, and it should be treated effectively by hormones. Okay. Does this change from life stages, i.e., I assume maybe not before puberty, and then does it, does it change after menopause? Well, it vanishes after menopause usually. Ah. There may be depression after menopause or sexual problems, vaginal dryness and pain after the menopause, but this is specifically a problem that occurs in younger women of reproductive age. Do the symptoms of PMS change in intensity depending on a woman's natural hormone level? Well, I'm not sure whether we can relate them to hormone levels. In the worst cases, it can occur soon after puberty, age 12 or 13, and again, it gets worse with age, and it gets rather better at the menopause than it stops at the menopause. And these very distressing symptoms change a whole woman's life and stops her from having good relationships, prevents her career prospects, has all sorts of of terrible implications. And essentially, it is losing control of your ability and and your sanity. This happens very often. And I repeat again that essentially, it's depression, confusion, insomnia, poor concentration, poor libido, and also the physical symptoms that occur, like sore breasts, abdominal bloating, general bloating, and so on. It's very odd that these symptoms all disappear with pregnancy. Oh, really? Perhaps it isn't odd at all, because in pregnancy, women don't have these hormonal fluctuations every month. And the hormone levels are fairly 
static, although increasing, there's no premenstrual exacerbation of symptoms. And this gets us down to the probable cause. The probable cause of PMS is progesterone. It's okay. The progesterone occurs um, or, or is produced after ovulation in younger women. And its sole purpose is to pair the endometrium for implantation of the embryo. Okay. Um, but it also has these side effects that in women who are susceptible, women who are progesterone intolerant, it does produce these symptoms of PMS. Mm. Has PMS ever been misdiagnosed? Because there's so many different side effects for it. Has it been misdiagnosed? Oh, yes. The behavioural changes are so severe that it's often been called cyclothymic depression or worse still, bipolar depression. And this is the problem that psychiatrists have. Psychiatrists have no interest in the hormonal changes occur in women and the way that hormonal changes cause depression. So therefore, they will call this cyclical depression bipolar disorder. And they will be given all sorts of nasty bipolar drugs like antidepressants and lithium and so on, which don't help. So it's very important to distinguish between PMS and bipolar condition because the treatments are very different. Looking at um, PMS in your field, when did PMS become recognised as a clinical condition? Oh, it was recognised a long time ago, uh, in about yeah. 60, 70 years ago. Okay. And there was um, a whole heap of publications by a general practitioner called Katharina Dalton. So she really put this thing on the map, showing that there were, there were more problems, there were more suicide attempts, more antisocial activity leading to prison mm. sentences, etc. This is all stuff of many years ago. And it was a very important definition and description of this common condition by Katrina Dalton. Mm. I have to say she also thought the treatment was progesterone, which was wrong. Progesterone is what makes it worse. Oh, really? She did, and I say this with great respect for her, she did say that it was so obvious that progesterone works, it didn't require a randomised controlled trial. I'm afraid oh. that she was wrong in that respect, but she did put the whole condition on the map. How interesting, a piece of history there. So let's have a look at PMDD, otherwise known as premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Can you explain what this is and how it's different to PMS? Is it, is it treated the same way? Well, PMDD is just the American way of describing it. Premenstrual dysphoric disorder. This is from the American College of Psychiatrists. And by using the word dysphoric, it clearly puts it into the realm of the psychiatrist, not mm. the endocrinologist. That's a big mistake because when patients are ill, they don't say to you, I'm feeling very dysphoric today, doctor. They say, I'm feeling depressed and I can't cope and I can't sleep for seven days a month. So 
I prefer to use the expression severe PMS rather than PMDD. Is that the difference then between PMS and PMDD, that the symptoms are more severe with PMDD? Well, no, there's no difference, actually. You know, people will say that that PMDD is more severe than PMS. You have very severe PMS, but it's just that in places like America, they call it PMDD because of this dreadful word dysphoria. Mm, I see. I googled PMDD and the first result of treatment was selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Glass mouthful. I guess that's otherwise known as antidepressants, isn't it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it is said, and even our college in its um, outline of PMS says that the two best treatments, or the first line treatments, are antidepressants, which is not true or the birth control pill, which isn't true. Now, it certainly does occur that occasionally women get better on the birth control pill or antidepressants, Um, but they usually don't. And the ones that have come to me are the ones that have been through that therapy. And and you see that the pill is doubly unfortunate because it contains progestogen and... These women are progesterone, progestogen intolerant, so they feel worse. And the worst pill of all is the progesterone-only pill, which Mm. might stop menstruation, but they get depressed all the time. Yeah, because it's it's distributed like monthly, isn't it? So it's a great pity that when you Google PMS, it says first-line therapy is the pill, or antidepressants. Very disappointing results from both of them. Yeah. With the contraceptive pill as a a remedy for PMS, is that that the same case for other contraceptive methods? Oh, no, we're just talking about the pill. The the pill that contains progesterone. And, um, you know, if it worked, that would be wonderful because it's much easier to give the pill and Prozac than to give HRT, but it doesn't work, I'm afraid. And the patients who come to me have very usually gone through the pill, which doesn't work, and antidepressants, which doesn't work, even though they're still on them for two or three years. Um, No, the answer to the treatment of severe PMS and even mild PMS is transdermal estrogens that stop ovulation that stop the cycles and stop the release of this progesterone, which essentially is the fundamental cause of PMS. It's intolerance to their own progesterone. And in the same way, they're they're intolerant to, to medication of progesterone, which we call progesterogen. That's a synthetic progesterone. So... Um, it doesn't work, and as I've said before, that the worst treatment of all is a progesterone-only pill or Depo-Provera, and that's, that's a Depo-Progestogen, because they feel awful with the symptoms, no longer cyclical, but they're there all the time. Mm. Why is it that doctors still prescribe the progesterone-only pill then? Well, they shouldn't. I don't know. Yeah. They, they, they shouldn't. It's quite wrong. 
Do some women experience no PMS at all? Oh, absolutely. About 50, wow. 50%. Really? I suppose, you know, I speaking as a man, but I, I suppose most women have some sort of awareness that the period is coming tomorrow. A bit, mm. bit of an ache or breast pain or a little bit grumpy, but that's not PMS. That's so, that, that's so common, it's normal. Now, we're talking about the severe PMS, which happens in 10, 20, 30% of patients, of women, depending how you define it. How do you diagnose PMS? Is it, is it through just verbal consultation or do you, do you check the bloods to do it? Yes, well, that's right. You diagnose PMS by a history, okay. by talking to patients, getting an understanding of these symptoms and if they're cyclical. You don't diagnose it by blood tests, that's for sure. Okay. And there's another little feature to PMS, and that is that it gets better during pregnancy. And PMS patients usually have a good pregnancy with less and less uh, depression, and they quite often get postnatal depression. Yeah, that's right. However, if they breastfeed for a long time, for a year or so, they don't have cycles, don't have periods, and they don't have PMS in that year of breastfeeding. When they stop breastfeeding, then it comes back again. So they then develop postnatal depression, and then when the periods return, they have their cycles and their cyclical depression and other symptoms, that is, PMS. Hmm. How interesting. When, when a woman is breastfeeding, what are the hormones doing at that time inside her body for her not to be getting the PMS? Well, the essential thing is that with breastfeeding, women don't usually ovulate. They do sometimes, but they don't usually ovulate. And therefore, they are not releasing the progesterone, which is the cause of PMS. I um, see. Until they stop breastfeeding and the periods come back and the progesterone comes back and the PMS comes back. I see. That makes sense. Looking back at one of our previous episodes on the podcast, we spoke about depression and more specifically reproductive depression. Mm -hmm. And could you please recap what reproductive depression is and is PMS a component of it? Reproductive depression is essentially, it occurs in women and it occurs because of hormonal changes. And it is particularly premenstrual depression, PMS, postnatal depression, and then menopausal depression. They occur in the same woman over the period of 30 or more years. Mm. And these are the sort of depressions which are hormonal in basis, hormonal in causation, and should be treated with the hormones. I'll repeat that. Premenstrual depression, postnatal depression, and menopausal depression are caused by changes in the hormone levels and therefore should be treated with hormones. And is PMS a component of reproductive depression? Yes, it's part of it. It's part of it. And let, let me repeat that the estrogen that you should give 
will be transdermal through the skin, either by patches or gels, because transdermal estrogens are safer than oral estrogens. So therefore, it's fairly straightforward, and they will start the treatment now, and they'll feel better next month. It's Mm -hmm. very, very predictable. Sounds very good. I know that there's a proportion of women that remove their ovaries or their uterus and fallopian tubes. Is that a method of stopping PMS? That's a very important question. I'm pleased you brought it up because women on HRT with PMS can be sensitive to the digestion component of HRT. Mm. And so one of the options is to remove the uterus and the ovaries. And we've done this for years. We've published studies of of 50 patients where every one is better cured Mm. completely. Now, it may seem to be a bit drastic, but these women have awful problems, awful problems, which have responded a little to HRT, but not completely, because they need progestogen. Otherwise, they get heavy bleeding. So therefore, it's important you can suggest hysterectomy, or they'll suggest it to you, much more important. Now, it's no good removing the uterus itself because you'll still have the ovaries producing these cycles. It's no good removing the ovaries themselves because you will have then menopausal and you'll give HRT and the PMS comes back again. So if you're going to remove the uterus, if you're going to submit this patient to surgery, it's much better to remove the uterus and the ovaries and the fallopian tubes. doesn't take any longer. And then they are virtually always cured, completely cured. They will, of course, need HRT afterwards in the form of transdermal estrogens, and transdermal testosterone. But that's easier to give because there's no bleeding problems and there's no need for any digestive gen which causes the PMS symptoms. Wow. People that do this, is there a particular age that people are really attracted to this option or is it completely varied? Well, the age is very varied and um, it's normally by the age of 40, 45. But I have, over the years, had patients of, of 28, 30. It's quite young. Who, yes, I know. Not many of them, but um, um, who have demanded this operation. And after much, much consultation with husbands, fathers, priests, etc., we've gone on to do the operation. But after much, much counseling, and they're all better. That's That's all I can say, and they don't regret it. But that's not the essential treatment of PMS. The essential treatment is medical by hormones. Mm. Have you got any more comments on the topic of PMS that we haven't covered? No, I think we've done it all, haven't we, really? Yeah, I think so too. I can't think of anything else. No. It's very interesting. Thanks for all of of your questions. 
Great. Well, Professor, I will speak to you next time. Thank you very much for today. Hello and welcome back. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode on PMS. If you have any questions about what we covered in this episode, or any other episode for that matter, you can ring the London PMS Menopause Clinic, where someone will be very happy to cover any of your personal queries. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.